You're tuning into the Active Mom Podcast with physical therapist, Dr. Carrie Pagliano, a real mom's guide to all things postpartum return to workouts after baby. If you're a postpartum mom, coach, trainer, or physical therapist looking for answers on how to get back to running, CrossFit, yoga, Pilates, HIIT, you name it without the fear of pelvic floor issues or doing something wrong, this is the podcast for you. Let's start the show. Okay, I am here with Kimberly Johnson, and I'm so happy to have you on because we've actually never spoken in real life before. This is the first time. Um, I met Kimberly over Instagram, um, and it, you know, Kimberly has a background in psychology. She's a PhD student um, and also has been very open about patient perspective with prolapse. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I wanted to bring you on because you've been such a, a breath of fresh air. Thank and you. I really appreciate you kind of sharing your insight, but I want to dive right in um, with the focus today of definitely being more towards our providers. But uh, a little bit of background that people may not know is you're a former uh, pro mountain biker um, and you've had some injuries too. And so you've kind of had to work uh, back from that. But what was postpartum recovery like? Was it the same as that? Was it different? Like talk about that a little bit from the patient perspective. Yeah, definitely. Um, So I actually raced professionally on the road. I just want to clarify in case anyone's fact checking me here. Um, But road cycling was more of my focus, um, which uh, unfortunately means that the injuries are a little bit more severe typically. Um, And so I did have multiple different instances of breaking bones, tearing minor tendons and different kind of major injuries that people would consider to be like fairly life rocking. And I have to say my experience recovering from a birth injury and my postpartum recovery experience has been much harder. Um, I actually broke my neck in 2014. Yeah, I read that. (laughs) Right. So like that sounds fairly significant, right? Yeah. But somehow breaking your vagina is actually harder, turns out. Um, Yeah heal, harder to talk about, harder to address. Um, so in terms of what has been the same and different, I think one one thing that's the same is a lack of a guaranteed timeline. Um, because I mean, in the beginning with my C2 fracture, people you know would say things are looking X, Y, Z, this is looking like right. you're on the right track, but it's hard to say exactly how long it's gonna take to get back to um, riding and racing and training hard, blah, blah, blah. And so there was, you know, there wasn't a guaranteed do this, 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 and then you'll be healed with that injury either. Um, but I do think that one major difference is the lack of stigma with a neck break and a ton of stigma with pelvic floor injuries. And so, um, finally I made the decision to push back on that stigma and begin to discuss it openly, just like I discussed my elbow fracture, my C2 fracture, my road rash that I would come to work showing. Like, you know, (laughs) it's like, why is, um, why does this have to be so different just because of the part of the body that it impacts? Um, And I think that that actually has really big implications for recovery and healing too. Um, because anytime shame is involved in something that is going to have a dramatic impact on mental health in terms of the healing process. And so, and then we also know that mental and physical health are deeply integrated. And so if you have an injury that's really kind of shrouded in shame and secrecy, it is more likely that this is going to be associated, um, with, uh, more mental health symptoms and then more pronounced physical symptoms as well. Uh, so that was a big difference that I experienced and then kind of wanted to push back on a little bit. Did you have any sense like 
you know, how early on after you had your daughter, were you like, wow, this is really completely not at all what I expected? Um, so it was pretty much right away that I felt like something was wrong with my body, but I just kind yeah. of put it down for myself. I was like, of course, I just had a baby. Like, I have no idea what normal is. I guess this is normal because everyone's telling me everything's normal. Um, yeah. And my wife said, you know, there's a lot of swelling. You have a lot of swelling, but you, you know, you just had a baby, so that's normal. Um, and even at three weeks, when I asked her to kind of check some stuff out, she was like, everything looks very normal for someone who's had a vaginal delivery. Um, and I did have to do a lot of self-advocacy to get uh, yeah. clarity and answers and a path moving forward. Um, but I think around three weeks was when I really started to be like, you know, I don't know what's normal. I've never had a baby, but this, I know my body really well. And this doesn't feel like what I think my body should be feeling like right now. Um, especially kind of in comparison to some of the postpartum timelines I'd seen of kind of friends that were in my immediate vicinity. Like I couldn't even walk around the block without pain. Wow. And that was kind of a stark contrast to people kind of already out and about going yeah. on walks, starting to even hike with their babies, which again is another story and things I now wouldn't recommend to anyone. Um, but at the time it just really highlighted the discrepancy. And I was like, you know, like I keep being told that everything's normal, but I don't, I don't think that's the case. So, so you really had to be an advocate for yourself almost from the very beginning. Yeah. Wow. I actually ended up seeing a PT at five weeks postpartum. Mm -hmm. uh, which is earlier, like she was like, wow, most people are in here at five weeks postpartum. Yeah. And I've since developed a lot of a lot more understanding of why that is. Um, but I think the necessity of self-advocacy is one major reason because not everyone's going to have the time and energy and motivation to self-advocate for their own exactly care when they're caring for a newborn. Right. And I, that's pretty remarkable too. I mean, the ACOG guidelines for fourth trimester only updated what was that in 2018 mm -hmm. and I think that was around the time where I was like all right in Virginia we've got direct access if OBs can start seeing earlier you know I've got a lot to offer and and that's where I really started to step out but I mean if you know she's only she's not even two for, to have somebody else doing that like there just weren't many of us around that were seeing people earlier yeah. um, and it's such a shame because they're like oh well that's just what we do we just wait like well, why <laughs> <laughs> Lots of things, lots of things we can answer, talk people off cliffs, like that sort of yeah, thing. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Well, sure. and that's what, six weeks is a long time to have an anxiety spiral happening totally. with guidance on what's going on with your body. Yeah. No, absolutely, absolutely. Well, that's, that's amazing that you got somebody sooner. That's awesome. You. Yeah, um, it, was, it was good to have kind of a roadmap, even though it meant that kind of my vision for postpartum came crashing down at the same time, but that's another another story that I think we might need to do that on another one. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, so where in this, um, because you, you've got this, you know, budding career in psychology. Where in this are you like, okay, that my worlds are, are are colliding here. We need to mash this up. Like, where where did you make a decision to be like, all right, I got to do something about this? Yeah. So it's actually kind of funny. I almost wonder now, like, when people like my story or they find my account if they think like oh i'm doing psychology because of this experience and it's kind of funny that i was already in already in it yeah already in women's health i was already studying stress my focus was stress and coping um in a, from a health psych perspective so right. i was basically perfectly prepared to slide right into this world niche down like crazy <laughs> but really i mean this is something i guess what it comes down to is that 
my own experience really illuminated this major unmet need. Um, and I, I did have, I'll be honest, I had a little bit of anxiety early on um, with this like fear that people would think like, oh, she's just studying that because she experienced it. And so there can be this weird stigma in psychology that people just study themselves. And um, so I didn't, I was mindful of that, but at the same time I was like, who cares? Like at the end of the day, if I can make an impact in this area, right. why? why does it matter if some people say that like, oh, she's doing it because she's setting herself. Like I kind of put my yeah. own ego aside for the sake of a like a greater good. Um, because when I started digging into the health psych literature and I started looking at the postpartum work, um, there's nothing like, and I no. was <laughs> blown away. Like, I can't tell you how shocked I was because I went into psychology kind of thinking like, okay, here we are 2020 or no, I started in 2017. Uh, but here we are, you know, everything's already been done. I just need to kind of find my own little niche, my own research question to dig into, but I'm not, yeah. but there was no way I would still be able to make a major contribution to any body of literature. Oh gosh. Yeah. So, no, like the world is open. <laughs> stumble upon this like completely unstudied research area that is like a major has major implications for women, um, you know, and women and birthing people um, was kind of a weird silver lining in this for me, um, both personally and professionally, because it's been a really big part of my own meaning making process with this and kind of my own coping, feeling like I can use this for something greater than myself and my own story. Um, so it felt really redemptive. Um, but yeah, really it was just like, I had this experience. I went to find answers. I went to try to, I actually started, um, and I like to be open about this too, because I wanna show that I can practice what I preach and try to shift stigma in this area too. Um, but I was having a ton of anxiety and a lot of hard time stopping my spirals and um, some trauma related symptoms as well from kind of this medical trauma. Um, and so I ended up searching for um, a, like a, a therapist here locally who I could work with who had experience in, you know, birth related trauma or birth injury. Yeah. And I, I couldn't find, like I could find people who it's have so done to find. like stereotypical so birth trauma, yep. like like traumatic birth experiences, but then the physical recovery is fine. Do you know what I mean? Like there's a difference yep. between like, so that's why I use the term kind of in my research, I use the term birth related trauma because it's not always like a classic type one trauma where you think you're gonna die and then right. you don't, and then you recover and you can go through, you know, but you have like lingering trauma symptoms. Yeah. Like this is, I think birth related injury and especially like birth related pelvic floor injury um, in my own experience and talking with women and reading results from my research studies I'm running, um, it's, it's like an ongoing trauma and it's ongoing, like shattering of expectations for the future and the current and questioning the past. And yep. yeah. So that's one of the things that comes up a lot. Um, my, um, my oldest, uh, I, I laminated my birth plan. We'll just leave that one there for what it is unpack that another day. Um, couple day induction pushed, ended up in a, in a C-section and I literally had to go through a period of like, you, you kind of just have to mourn whatever didn't occur. And, you know, and, and I see this so much in clients and, and I think a lot of PTs go into pelvic floor PT because of issues that they had. I'm kind of like you, I was already in it, thought I knew everything. I'm like, Oh, what is there to learn? And then learn way more than you, you bargain for. Yeah. Um, but there's so much, I think that we don't realize that, um, like in, in being a biased data set, the, the women that come in my door generally 
something bad happened or something unplanned happened. And I always, I'm always so frustrated when they, they start crying towards the end and, and they apologize. And I'm like, please don't apologize. I'm like, this is part of it. And if we're going to keep going on this, some of that needs to come out. And I may not be the most skilled person to be handling this. I'm happy to see if we can work that. But this needs that. This is part of, of moving forward. Um, don't don't be sorry. Don't be sorry yeah. at all. Man, and at oh this time, there should be people who are well trained yes. to handle the mental emotional aspect of this. It's uh, almost impossible to find, and I live in a gigantic metropolitan area. <laughs> so, I mean, I pers- I can speak to my own personal experience that, like, early on, I probably cried through half my PT sessions, and I left being like, "Yeah, that wasn't the best use of my PT session. I should have." Oh, like, but it was. All <laughs> the emotional stuff for later, like done dealt with that on my own, and just focus on my personal dealing with the PT because that's what they're for. Um, but it made me realize like how important um, having the mental and emotional support for this really is in the healing process. Um, yeah. And just kind of quickly just clarify something I had previously said, I hope it didn't come across this way, but I'm not trying at all to like discount the, the classic birth trauma, um, but more say that there is another type of birth related trauma that hasn't been adequately addressed. So, yeah, I think there's so much gray on that scale um, yeah. and, and the trauma that isn't like the, the obvious stereotypical trauma for sure. Yeah, there's actually pretty good work already that's already been done and that's ongoing mm-hmm. um, in the area of um, post like postpartum PTSD. Yeah. Um, some some really skilled researchers in that area currently, and so I love that like that's being addressed as well. And yeah. I'm hoping to make a, a contribution in the area of kind awesome. of pelvic, pelvic floor disorders and uh, birth related trauma there. Awesome. So we're we're gonna stop dancing around. I want to hear about this. <laughs> So, so in all the work that you're doing, kind of what trends are you finding that might be relevant to us as practitioners or coaches or trainers, anybody working with this population? Like what, what are you starting to see? Yeah. So I have, I have two studies on going, one of them I closed because I collected a lot of data and I wanted to be able to take some time to process and write it up. Um, one of them is a cross-sectional study that has almost 300 women from, wow. I think like 20 different countries. Um, so I'm really excited about that one, but I'm also excited about this, the first kind of my initial study um, that I started, which was um, intended to enroll um, first time birthing people within the first eight weeks postpartum. Um, so I get, do an initial survey at within that first eight weeks period when they enroll, and then another one at three, six, and 12 months. And so at this point, I have collected data up to six months, which is cool to start to look at, um, you know, what hap- what's happening over time and changing. Um, and so a couple general trends that I'm noticing that I want to continue to dig into and that might also, like you said, that might be relevant for postpartum professionals um, is that there is, so one of the things that is associated with um, long-term outcomes, both perceived distress of pelvic floor symptoms and trauma-related symptoms, like general, like it's like a, there's a postpartum uh, PTSD scale that I included. Mm-hmm. And so when people perceive a high discrepancy between expectation and reality in terms of the postpartum experience, that is highly associated with um, both distress of, associated with pelvic floor symptoms and tra- general trauma-related symptoms at baseline yeah. three months, even predicted out to six months. Um, and so I don't know what's ha- going to happen at 12 months. I'm looking forward to seeing that. Um, yeah. And another thing that is associated with perceived discrepancy is whether or not um, pelvic health, birth injuries, and prolapse were discussed as part of the prenatal education. Um, mm. And so that's 
question that I think actually is really potentially impactful for uh, perinatal professionals. Um, I've in talking with people, I've gotten some pushback, you know, the sense that, oh, if we discuss, you know, birth injuries, it's going to scare women or it's going to, you know, right. really feel this like birth fear instead of birth appreciation. And my perspective is that you can be fully informed and still feel that birth is beautiful and empowering. Exactly. And like it's not, not off guard. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Um, I think that there's this kind of polarization that happens in the birth world between of like, fearful birth and empowered birth. And in that like polarization and the information gets lost because it's like, well, how much information do we give? If we give too much, it's going to bring people into this fear camp. Um, so we need to give not quite enough to keep them, you know, keep them in the empowered camp where they just trust their right. body. I think that everything will always work out perfectly because I mean, then that's kind of how I went into birth of like, trust your body. My body knows what to do, which is part of why for me, this was like kind of shattered assumption. Right. Delusion. If just do the right things, then everything will be all right. Yeah. The yeah. interesting thing is that this is a sample of people with birth-related injury, but there's a lot of variability in the severity. Like not everyone in this study has prolapse. Um, so there's people that had, you know, second and third degree tears, people who have prolapse. Um, so I'll definitely be kind of looking at outcomes and splitting the groups a little bit and seeing comparing across groups. Um, but this association held as kind of like a main effect that being yeah. full, feeling fully informed about pelvic health, regardless of the outcome, was associated with reduced discrepancy in perceived expectations versus reality and reduced distress associated with pelvic floor symptoms. So the more you know, right? <laughs> the more you yeah. know. Yeah. That's key is like, that's one of the things that I am hoping to kind of write about in one of my early papers is, you know, information is power, but and not just for prevention. You right. know, information is power for understanding the possibilities and not feeling so um, betrayed and blindsided. I think that's, those are themes that are coming up a lot is these feelings of betrayal, um, both by their own bodies and by the medical system and this feeling of being blindsided by something that they never even knew was a possibility. I'm, I'm just nodding my head because this is what I know inherently from doing this for 20 years and having sat in that role as, you know, a patient, yeah. it'll be nice to see it in print. There's so many things I think that um, in postpartum care, whether it be physical or, or mental or otherwise, like there's so many things we know, but it's just, it's, nobody's taking the time to document it. So for yeah. you to, to, to have, taking this time and this effort to be able to kind of gather these stories, I think is so, so important. Thank you. Um, and, and just, you've been, I, I think you've set a wonderful example of, you know, this has not been easy. I will share this because I know it's going to be helpful for somebody else, but I'm still figuring this out, yeah. which I just, I bow down to because it takes a lot <laughs> to do that. Thank you. I just, I feel like when I was early in this, journey diagnosis myself, I looked so hard for people um, still living a full life. And I know there's this kind of select self-selection bias and that when you go into these support groups, you're going to have a self-selected sample of people who are struggling the most right. and people who have either fully healed or have gotten to a place where it no longer you know, has a daily impact are not going to be posting about it on social media. Mm -hmm. And so there, it, there does get this kind of polarization of like, when you have prolapse and you look up like hashtag prolapse, you see things that are really scary or things that make you feel like your life is over. Um, and so I was hoping to try to kind of be a middle person in that where I can 
share like ways I'm still trying to live my life fully and also acknowledging um, ways that things are still hard. Well, and that, that honestly was, you, you had posted a picture somebody had reposted you or something and it was you skiing or I don't remember what it was. And I, I, I was like, wait a second, I'm, I'm interested in what she has to say as a Nordic skier kind of growing up. And I think that's what first drew me to you. Yeah. And then the more I kind of understood about your story, I'm like, oh, wow, there's way more here. Um, but I, I think, you know, you, you have such a lovely example of um, you kind of finding yourself as a mom in the context of all this, plus this, you know, you're very much who you are as a person, you know, living in the West and, you know, hiking and camping and you guys do just some awesome things. So I think that's, you, you're fulfilling your, <laughs> your wish there to show people yeah. that there's an ability. And I, I think also too, um, you know, for people looking to have more kids um, yeah. and try and find that place of peace and education and understanding so that you can move forward in that. Um, yeah. It's such an important voice and, and just something that's so good to hear. So um, thank you. Thank you. Um, <laughs> if you want to find Kimberly, she's got a great IG. Um, it's Wild Matrescence. I love that. Um, I'm not sure what, even what it means. What does it mean? I'll probably, I could probably write about it at some point because I haven't even introduced like why I picked this name, but um, matrescence is a term uh, initially coming from psychology that is like a developmental psychology term comparing um, this kind of transition into motherhood to almost like a second adolescence in terms of all of the shifts in kind of both the physical shifts as well as the mental emotional sh shifts of kind of redefining sense of self and identity. Um, and then wild because it kind of had a dual meaning of wild, like outdoors, nature. Yeah. I always wanted to be like that outdoor mama. Chills here. <laughs> I love it. I love it. It's like I just feel like that's the perfect word. Yeah. Um, thank you. And then like wild, also like I'm gonna show like what this really looks like. I'm not gonna filter everything. It's yeah. gonna be messy and imperfect, um, and hopefully a little bit beautiful too. So good. So good. Well, thank you so much. And we can't wait to continue to watch your journey and see Juniper continue to grow up too. She's so amazing. <laughs> All right. Too. It's crazy. I know. I know. <laughs> All yeah. right. Thanks so much, Kimberly. Thanks, Gary. Good to talk to you. You too. Did you enjoy the podcast? If so, leave us a five-star review on iTunes and tell a friend to do the same. Register now for the free on-demand postpartum mama masterclass, how to overcome the three most common return to run mistakes. You can skip to the good part and get back to running while missing these mistakes. Find this and more free resources under the patient section on carriepagliano.com. This podcast represents the opinions of Dr. Carrie Pagliano and her guests to the show. The content should not be taken as medical advice and is for entertainment purposes only. Always consult your healthcare professional for any medical questions.